I'm entitling this message, Dedicating the People Unto God. Dedicating the People Unto God. Who are the people? He is the Lord. So today we're going to gather and we are doing two things. We're dedicating and we are celebrating what God has spoken to me about. And you're going to dedicate yourself. (laughs) There's always a resistor, isn't there? There's always a resistor. (laughs) Thank God for children. When you get to my age, you say, thank God they're not mine anymore. (laughs) It's great when you can pass them on to the mothers and the fathers. But, um, so we're going to dedicate our lives to the Lord, rededicate our lives to the Lord, because the one thing we must not do is come back to church and think it's normal. Uh, you've still gone quiet there. That was a good place to say amen. Because if you want normal, you're going to be very surprised the way we're going forward. Because this church cannot afford to be normal. It cannot be afford. Normal is what you want. Normal is not what God wants. And last time I looked, it's, it's his church that is being built, not yours. So normal is not something, you won't find normal in the Bible. Or you won't find your version of normal in the Bible. What God calls normal is very, very different from ours. Amen? So, you know, dedication, some of you may think, well, dedication is something we do when, when we have children and we bring them before the Lord. Well, there are some parents in here who may want to dedicate their children later on, but that's not what we're doing today. We're dedicating our lives. We're not dedicating bricks and mortar. We're not dedicating bricks and mortar. Sometimes when people build beautiful structures, they they come and dedicate it and they say, oh, look at this wonderful building. Well, that's not the building we're dedicated. Bricks and mortar is not what we're doing today. Living stones is what's being dedicated today. You are a living stone. Amen? Amen? And, you know, many of us want to, uh, want to pursue in our lives a good career. You might want to pursue a, a marriage. You might want to pursue, you know, sport. You might want to pursue many, many things. But one of the dangers of, of Christians is this. They think they can have their cake and eat it. You can't have your cake and eat it in the kingdom. It's, it's all the kingdom or it's, not, it's none of the kingdom. There is none, 50%. And I know you may not realize that you do that with your life, and I do that with my life at times. But if we want true progression, we have to pursue what's in God's heart. We We really, really have to do that. And we have to think, you, when you do that, there is room within that for you to succeed. There's a lot of room in there for you to succeed. God's given you talents and gifts. And they don't all, they're not all used in here. You're meant to use them outside, wherever you are. But the kingdom is taken with you wherever you go. See, what we do is we live our life out there and we come to church and we bring the kingdom here. That's not what church is. That's your version of church. That's your alternative lifestyle, but that's not kingdom. Kingdom's taken with us wherever we go. Kingdom is what makes us who we are. Kingdom within us. The kingdom within us. Us. See, you're in a church now. You're not in a kingdom. The kingdom is within you. You're inside a church. But you are the church. So the church is inside of you. Heaven lives inside of God. Yes, one day the heavens will break away. But my word will remain forever. God will live forever. 
So heaven lives inside of God. God doesn't live in heaven. Church lives inside of you. And the kingdom's inside of you. You don't live inside a church. Amen? Amen? You must understand these things because when you're dedicating yourself, you're dedicating all that's within you to him. Every talent, every dream that you've got, every talent, every, every intellect you've got, it's all being dedicated to him to use. Because if he can't use it, guess what? The world will use it and the world will take you in a very different way. So when someone or something is being dedicated, it's being committed to a task. To a purpose. To a task or a purpose. See, out of that dedication comes your commitment. Commitment. You cannot remove the word commitment to dedication. Amen? You cannot take, remove the word commitment to a task, to an assignment, to a duty, whatever you're being committed to or dedicated to. It's also, when you break down this word dedication, it's a willingness to give yourself, your time, your energy. Now, as you get older, you realize energy is not something you have in abundance. You have to preserve your energy. It takes you longer to recover from bouts of... So if you've been on, the, on your feet all day, it takes you longer to recover. If you've done any exercise when you get older, it takes longer. Believe me, it takes longer. When you're young, you can ache after a game, and then straight away, the next day you're ready to go again. Or some of these guys... Have you seen these tennis guys? They can play two and three matches a day. Footballers go 120 minutes, and then... They've probably still got some more energy. And their athleticism, they can go from the young, but as they get older, you can't do that. You can't do that. The 100 metres that you did in, in you know, six, six seconds, not six, what is it, it's about two minutes, now takes you an half, half hour. You just don't have that energy. I mean, that's lately, me and Paul were doing something the other day and we were jumping. And you could see the, the gazelle over here and you could see the old man over here. But the old man, just letting you know, the old man did what the young man did. It just looked different. <laughs> but when the young man does it, it looks better. When the old man does it, and the old man sweats and pants, but it takes longer for me to get my rhythm back. And he's stood there looking at me saying, what have we just done? <laughs> so you use energy when you get older. When you're young, you don't think about your energy. And I'm telling you this because God spoke to me about this. When you're younger, you don't think about energy. But when you're older, you think about the energy. Walking to the shop, for some people, the older they get, is something to wipe them out for the rest of the day. We take our energy for granted. You cannot take, you've got to work on your energy levels. Oh, some of you don't realise, believe me. Hey, I'm not, I'm only just, I'm, a, I'm young at this OLD stuff. But you do have to conserve your energy. So the willingness to give time, energy and effort is something has been deemed as important. That's why you commit yourself to it. I've only got so much time. I've only got so much energy. I've only got so much resources. So when I'm going to commit myself and dedicate myself to something, I'm going to think what it's going to cost me. Yes? So this new dedication, what we're having today, is an acknowledgement of a new time. Write this down. It's of a new time. Now, if you look behind you, you'll see a clock on the wall. That's not there for, for just for your purpose. 
It's there for our purpose. Why? Because that clock is there as a symbol of how we will now use our time. There has to be things that remind us every time we look at that clock, it's not what time it is, it's how are you using your time. It's significant. Everything around us must speak. People say, well, you know, for years I took the clock away because people were always looking at it. But now I have the right time to bring the clock back because it's not telling us the time. It's, it's reminding us our use of time. How are we using our time? Every time we gather today, that clock's ticking when you leave. That clock reminds you of where you've been in the week and how you use your time. But when we sit here or when we stand here together and we gather, we have to be focused on the time we have left. Because time is running out for all of us. And when you're young, you don't think that, but it is. Amen? In this time we've been given, God is working and God is calling us to work together. Together. It doesn't matter how old you are, how intelligent you are, or how intelligent you're not. It doesn't matter... GCEs and A-levels don't matter, but we can use them all. God calls us and God equips us. That's not a recipe for not working hard. And if you've got, if you've got intelligence, bring it to the, onto the field. If you've got gifting, if you've got wisdom, if you've got skill, bring it all onto the field because God wants to use it for his glory. Amen. You can't just keep using your intelligence and your gifting to pursue your life. It can't be just about you. God gives you for the benefit of others. People need to be enriched by what you are and who you are. You're enriched by what I carry. I'm enriched by what you carry. And the moment we see that, we realise that God puts us alongside people so that we can be enriched by them. Rather than being irritated by them, we can be enriched by one another. Amen? Now, as a shepherd, I must... I speak for myself also, but I'm speaking to, uh, including Paul and Phil in that. But as a shepherd, as a shepherd, my role as a shepherd, I must move you on. But move you on from what? Well, I'm glad you asked. I must move you on from just receiving messages. I must move you on from just receiving prayer. I must move you on from just receiving care. Why? All those things will carry on. But I must move you on from just those receiving those things into other areas. Because that's the role of a shepherd, but that's not, that's not his only role. He's got to love people and lead them. Can he lead them somewhere? But all I hear is people say, oh, he loves, a shepherd loves. That's a basic requirement. You're supposed to love one another. So don't, get, don't think, well, that's what a great gift he's got. He loves people. We're all supposed to call to love one another. The shepherd's meant to lead people. Lead and love them at the same time. So, I'm meant to move you on into the grace that God is supplying for us. Because there's a grace here that if we don't step into it and move on from just those things, like that, we're not saying those things are not going to continue, those things will, but we're saying there's more. Many people come to the church just for a message. That's you in mind, that's, that's, that's the wrong attitude to just come just for that. Much more we come. There's much more. The kingdom has laid hold of you for much more than just receiving messages. Amen? I must move you on so that you become consciously conscious 
consciously conscious of things that need to take place in your life and around your life. If, if, if you just give me a Christian with a conscience, I can do a lot. Most people turn that switch off called God conscience. And the only time they turn it back on is when they come into a church and they feel the presence of God and it's back switched on. But your God conscience must preserve you when you're not in here. And these messages, this prayer, this care must all enable you and empower you to have a God conscience wherever you are. When no one's looking, how will you respond? How will you act? Can you stand upright? That's what we must help you to do. We're not saved to sit and attend church. We're saved to work. We are saved to work, to shine and to represent Christ. There's no place in God's house and in his individual, for individual selfish ambition. We've all got gifts and grace. We've all got a purpose. We've all got a sense of what we, we want to do with our lives. But there is no room for selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. No one's ambition is more important than anybody else's. In fact, ambition will take you in the wrong direction if it's not surrendered. Young people, you must understand that. You're vibrant, you're, you're energetic, you've got ambition, you've got skills and talent, and, and you want to be hired. But the trouble is, the hire will take you in a very, very different direction. If it's not consecrated, and you don't have a God conscience to know that this is the wrong way, you will be taken into slavery on a path that you were never meant to be. Oh, but the employer's getting his pound of flesh out of you. But that's not what you were called. You were called to rise, not to be enslaved. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So why do we let our careers do it? There is a way to rise in the kingdom. There is a way. We have to give responsibility to touch other people's lives rather than just ours. Now, God has spoken to me during the lockdown. I'm sure God's been speaking to you. God's been speaking to us. But I'm here today to tell you what God has spoken to me today about you. About us. Are you ready for this? God gave me three very clear, specific instructions for us as a people. So if you've got a pen, you might want to write these down. Let me just read this scripture to you first. Or just as Paul said, he said, That which I received, I now pass on as first importance to you. And that's what I'm about to do with you right now. I'm about to pass it on as first importance. So I've been waiting for us to get back together so I can pass this on. And then build in this direction. And the first thing the Lord told me to do was to assemble. When we assembled the people was to dedicate them. To dedicate them, watch, to the work that he has set for us. Your job is to dedicate your life to him anyway. That's your personal consecration and your walk with God. You are meant to walk in a love relationship with Christ. My role is not to to commit you and to dedicate you to the love of God. That's something you must do. My job, my role as a shepherd is to commit us and dedicate us to the work of God. Amen? (laughs) To the work of God. If there's no work going on in this church, we will close. It's the work of God that moves us forward. Now, I know some of you just want a church to attend, but that's not the church we are. That's part of what we do. That's not all we do. One day you will pass away to glory and we're left holding what you liked. But when we walk in accordance to what God's doing, 
Generations can come and generations can go. And generations can keep coming and going. We never do anything for one generation. That's not the way to build. So, the Lord, first thing is the Lord said, um, when you assemble the people, dedicate them to me and dedicate them to the work that I've got for them. Secondly, you know, some churches are just happy to be back. Don't be happy to be back. Don't just be happy to be back. Because happy is a temporal state. You're happy today and you're miserable tomorrow. In fact, some may be even miserable in the next five minutes, depending on what I've got to say. Happiness is, not a, per, is, a, is a fixed state. It's a temporal state. It's subject to change. Read the terms and conditions. And when I'm speaking, probably will do. But dedicate people to the work of God. Because that's what God it looks at the Dream Center. And that's what God said. What did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? What did you do with the faith I gave you? What did you give? Oh, sorry, what did you do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit I gave you? What did you do with your resources? What have you done with them? Well, we had a nice life. Yeah, but what did you do with them? What does it produce? What has it produced? They're the things. One day you and I are going to stand before the Lord and he's going to scan us. Oh, you won't get an interview. You won't be able to defend, you, defend yourself. It's going to be one of those, like those barcode scans. And within a, a thousandth of a second, you're going to be scanned. And all, that go, that all that's not of God goes to one side. And all that is to God goes forward into the kingdom. And you're rewarded on based on what you produced. And we are rewarded and based on what we produce as a house. So it's so important that we understand God has called us here for a work. Not just to, for attendance. There's only so many times we can change things and do things. We're meant to be our Father's business. Second thing the Lord said to me. And I was walking out the door. And I've been praying this for months. Well, longer than months. I've been praying it for... At least two or three years. When I was in the States, I was praying this. When I was in my prayer, what I've been praying this. And then the Lord just, it was, it was a beautiful God moment. When you're walking out the church door, and as I'm walking, I start to walk, I heard the audible voice of God speak to me. And it's like, wow, yes, I've been waiting. Where have you been? No, 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 son, where have you been? And this is what the Lord said to me. From this day forth, you'll start to feed the community. So I knew what that meant. When God speaks, God doesn't have to speak a lot. I knew exactly what he meant. And what that means is, this immediate community, we will be inviting them for lunch. Now I've got a strategy of how it's done. I don't know how long it will, it will take us to do it. But we're going to be inviting people, not to a church service, but we're going to be inviting people for lunch. That's our first step. That's the first step. So I'm saying, well then what? Just do that, Tony. Let's see if you can be faithful with that. Can you mobilize the people to do that? Can the people be dedicated to feed this community? Now, I'm not talking about the poor. I'm talking about giving them a meal. That's the bridge to cross over. That's the second thing the Lord spoke to me about. It was very clear, very specific, and a strategy came with it. And God only spoke a couple of words to me. We didn't have a long dialogue. God's not that kind of God. He just speaks and gives understanding, comes out of what he speaks. Some of us want a long email from God. God doesn't give long emails. He just gives one line, one word sometimes. And with that, understanding hits your spirit. And if it hits your spirit, as it bounces back up, 
understanding comes. That's the second thing. And then the third part, this is the most, well, this is not the most important part, but this is a very, um, I'm trying to think of another word other than important. (laughs) Strategic, thank you. This is strategic because these three are instructions. These, These are not requests, these are requirements. So when God gives you requirements, he's not going to speak to us until we, we fulfill these things. Until we do these things, God won't speak again. So I can't keep standing up to the Lord and saying, Lord, show me this, Lord, show me that. He's going to say, have you done those three things I asked you to do? So I am bound by my own words to put us to this task. This one is this, write this down, because this is going to, this is going to help you. Because the third thing the law says, I want you to reserve, preserve, and redirect the energy, your energy, and the energy of your people. I want you to reserve, preserve, and redirect your energy, meaning me, and the energy of the people. So God knows that we've all got a measure of energy. Some of you may feel tired. Some of you may feel alive. We do not want to, do not want to weary people by endless church meetings. Now you've had a year and a half at home. You've not had to come to church. All you've had to do is sit there, eat your frosties and look at me on Zoom. Or poor Phil or whoever it was. You could sit there in your nightgown. You didn't have to move. You could even turn me off. You could turn me on. It was easy. So you should have some energy. You can never blame church. If you haven't got any energy, it's not church's fault. That's the point I'm making. Your work may be draining you, but we haven't drained you. Now the Bible's saying, I want some of, I want some of the people's energy, and therefore I don't want you to drain the people by endless nonsensical meetings. I want you to use and tap into the energies of the people and I want you to do it productively and I want you to do it wisely. Don't you think God's kind to you? He wants to save you. He doesn't want the shepherd to drive the people in endless meetings. I thought I would have got a bigger amens than that. Dear me. Somebody said, I don't care, I'm not coming to your meetings anyway. Good. Because we won't be having endless meetings. We will have purposeful meetings. So those three things is what God, I'm confident in being able to communicate those three things to you, telling you that's what God has spoke to me about. Very clearly. They're diverse, but yet they all make sense to me the more I thought about them. So dedicate the people to the work. Start to reach the immediate community and invite them to lunch. And thirdly, reserve, preserve and redirect your energy, Tony, and the energy of people. Now I'll speak to the 11 about that later, not today, but later. Because there's a reason why God told me to preserve and reserve the energies. But for right now, for this morning's sake, that's what I have got to concentrate. So... You know, as the congregation is of all different ages. And you have to use the energy of people in a very strategic way. Because I'm convinced everyone has a role. Everyone can do something. 
irrespective of how OLD you are or how young you are. And it's not right to let all the young uns do all the work. And it's not right for the young uns to let all the old uns do the work. But everyone can do something. Amen? And we must put everyone, we're only as productive as the people you can put to work. If you can't put your people to work and all they want to do is just sit there and listen, you haven't got a productive people. You've got, you've got numb, numb people sat on the bum. So we have to mobilize the people. So anyway, households in the Bible are very, very important. And in 1 Corinthians 16, I forgot me, I uh, didn't bring the slides down. I have some slides, but so we'll just we'll do the old conventional way. It's called turning your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. And we're talking about the, the households. When God dedicates, when God receives the dedication of a people, he looks at the qualities of the people and of the house. And I'm convinced that the God, uh, when, I, when God looks at us, the dream center, he must see a different kind of people inside there. And in 1 Corinthians 16, we, lo- we look at the house of Stephanus. And it says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Archaea. And they have devoted themselves... To the service of the saints. They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And I urge you, brothers, to submit such as these and to everyone who joins, watch this, in the work and labors in it. So the first thing we see about this specific household and their devotion was the people devoted themselves. You can't add anything to people if they will not devote themselves. So they devote themselves. Secondly, they're devoted to the service of the saints. That's with this household. They were devoted to the service of the saints. They wasn't devoted to the servicing of the saints, but to the service of the saints. In other words, it just wasn't meeting-itis they had. That's called serving. That's called servicing people. Serving the saints, the will and the work of the saints. Because these saints had a work. And this was the attitude. And then we move to the Macedonian church in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And it says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. There they go again. And then to us. And that's dedication. They brought themselves first to the Lord and then to us. You can't. Paul can't dedicate himself to anything if he's not yet dedicated to God first. Doesn't matter what we're doing. Doesn't matter what we're doing. If you're not dedicated, that's why it's not my role to dedicate you to the Lord. It's your role to dedicate yourself to the Lord. My job is to dedicate what we do as a corporate gathering of people before the Lord. And then he says this, so... But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's grace. So we urge Titus to do the same, basically. Then go down to verse 10. And here is my advice about the best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do it. Now, desire is not enough. Watch this. Desire is not enough. Many of us have desires, but desires doesn't get the job done. Watch this. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by the completion of it. So eagerness and desire are not qualifications unless you have the ability to go and complete what you you are willing and eager to go and do. 
Now I am very eager and willing, and I speak for Paul and Phil, we're very eager and willing for this work to be done. And we will keep talking to you and have no shame about doing that because you have heard what God is speaking to us. We are now sharing. Now it's our responsibility, not mine. My, I've got my role in that. You've got your role in that. We've got all got our role in this. We're all in this together. You can't claim to love the Lord and not love his church. You can't claim to have a, fellowship, a relationship with a God and not serve his kingdom. The two just don't work. So... The behaviour of people is something God takes very, very seriously. Very seriously indeed. So, if God can find a man, if, who will stand and represent heaven before those they lead, what do you think the ramifications of that could be? If God can find a man or a woman who can lead and represent heaven... Before the people, what do you think heaven can do through those people? Well, the answer is, nothing is impossible. If God can get a representative on the ground to speak on behalf of heaven and represent heaven on the earth to the people, and the people can see that God speaks to them, and that people then rally to that point, there's nothing that God can't do with those group of people. Don't look at what we are now, look at what we can be. Because there's more on the way. There's more, much more on the way. And, and until they arrive, we're going to go and get some. Because we can't sit here and just expect people to arrive. We've got to go and get them. Now Solomon was a king who was heaven's representative on the earth. Now his father had walked before him. And his father had shown him the way how to represent heaven on the ground. How to relate with heaven. How to acknowledge the prophets when they speak. How to take the word the prophets have spoken. And then how to then administer that word over the people. And ensure that that word is part of the people's culture. Solomon did, has now got to do this, and his father did it before him, as did Moses, as did other people. But now it's Solomon's uh, time to step in there, and the first thing he does, he acknowledges father and son relationship. And he tells the people, in case they've got a bad history, and they've all kind of got insomnia or something, and they've, they've just kind of missed what's gone on, he says, I want you to know that that was the model, the way God spoke to a man, my father, and now the father and the son have walked together. And now it's a model and an expression on the ground that the people could not argue with. So when a man can walk with God, and the people can see that God walks with the man, there's one element fixed. Next thing is, when God, also when the people can see and when God can see that there is a son, there are sons on the ground that can walk with their fathers. And when sons can walk with their fathers and fathers can walk with their sons, something then can be transferred out of the heavens into a next generation. So when I look at the tumbies and I look at many of the young people, I see the next generation who can carry what we carry. But they've got to desire it. Giving something to somebody. If I lay hands on John, I can't give John something he's not ready to receive. Or he doesn't want. So when I look at this young generation, if they have the heart to serve God, 
You transfer what you carry to the next generation. And, that, and all that comes with it, the commitment, the dedication. So here Solomon is making it very clear. There has to be a model on the ground and a pattern on the ground in order for this dedication to make sense. Because what are you committing to? Now, David had already had the conversation with Solomon. Solomon, one day God's going to speak to you. And he's going to have the conversation with him. And he's going to ask you, what do you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom. But now Solomon's built the house that his father couldn't build because God told David, you're not the one to build me the house. Your son will build it. And now Solomon's building the house. And here now they arrive at dedicating what's been built. What was in the heart of the next generation. I do not stand here this morning on my own. We do not stand here on our own. We stand here on the Colin Carson generation. Some of you know, who's that? That was my, that was my pastor. And you stand on, how many of you? Gwen's like the cricket has been at the crease all day. She's seen them come, she's seen them go. And you've seen countless before. And now we're standing in their shoes because they built something that we have inherited. They didn't have language for what maybe what we've got language for today. But they dedicated what they had. They put it into us. And one day, this young lad from Openshaw walks in. And that which was on them came upon me. On us. Two scuffers from the back seats. Little did I know what was going to happen to my life the moment I popped my head through that door that day. I'm called here to stand and to represent you and to present. I'm here to represent heaven to you, but I'm also here to present you to him. A shepherd's got to be able to present the work he does to the people. So I stand there and I pray for you. I pray for your peace your progress and your provision. Now I know that you'll take your provision and you'll run off with it. I know that when you get your progress, you can take it in a different direction. That's not point. I still pray for it. How you utilize what God gives you is your responsibility. But here's my role to present to you, to present before the Father, you the body. So I have to dedicate myself and dedicate you Constantly before the Lord. And I've been praying for you, the people. Now, I forget that, we'll go that way. Get me in trouble if I say that. So God wants you to take the instructions today of what, you know, there's some days when I go and I say, Lord, I'm complaining that they're complaining. And God says, never approach me with a complaint. That's not the way to go. I've had to learn that over the years. Lord, they're saying nasty things about me. Man up. Yes, because when, you, when you're young in the ministry, you learn things and you don't like things the way people, things are going and people are saying. God says, man up, Tony. Grow. Grow up and become strong. So then you learn that. You say, Lord, you find different ways of telling God a complaint. Don't you do it? course you Lord I'm not complaining but God says I know your heart it's still a complaint so then you then you, you get past that immaturity then you say Lord how do I help this person see this how do I help this group of people Lord 
I've noticed, Lord, this person, when I've talked to them, there's anger and frustration in the heart. How do we get to that, Lord? Help them, Lord. So now I present them to the Lord to, because only God can fix you. Only God can fix you. So I never want to be a shepherd that breaks people. I want to be a shepherd that helps people, leads them. God heals them, I don't fix them. God can heal them. So, Solomon, let's go to it quickly. We're here in 1 Kings 18. Uh, sorry, 1 Kings 8. You can read this in 2 Chronicles uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. But I'm in 1 Kings. And here we are. He's out there. And Solomon begins to pray because now he's dedicating the people to the Lord. He's dedicating the work and the people. And in 1 Kings 8, 5, it says, When the heavens are shut up, Listen to what he prays, because this is important for you. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain. Why do you need, why is he praying for, for rain? Because your seeds that you sow needs rain. The seeds that we sow in the spirit need the rain. And we've sown a lot of seeds in the, in the spirit. But now he's saying, what about when the people have no rain? When the people have no rain for their own lives. Spiritual rain we're talking about here, not physical water. But he was talking about physical water, I'm talking about spiritual. But let's read it. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you and they pray towards this place to confess your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them, then hear from heaven, O God. In other words, Solomon wants, wants God to be merciful to the people of Israel. So when I pray to you, uh, sorry, when I'm praying for you, lifting you up before the Lord, I want God to give you the same mercy he's given me. Amen? And he says this, and then this is what I want God to do with you. And then in verse, uh, oh, I've took the verse, oh, verse 36. Then hear from heaven and forgive their sins of your servants, the people of Israel, and teach them the right way to live. So I want you to stand to your feet, if you will, please. Now remember, I'm not dedicating anything that you're not willing to offer. And I want you now, before the Lord, because I'm going to go through some of these verses, and I want you, I'm going to pray for you just as Solomon did, and I want you to respond in your own heart. I'm praying here that God teaches you the right way to live. That's the consciousness of God alive in you. So I'm going to pray, and I want you to join with me, because your amen is important here. So come on, let's take our hands out of our pockets, wherever they are. Let's be honest and let's be you know, serious about this. I'm going to pray this and dedicate this to you. I'm going to pray in my language, as a pastor would pray for you. And then I want you to say, Lord, yes, teach me your ways, oh God. I agree, Lord, teach me your ways. So Heavenly Father, when the heavens are shut up over this people, and there is no... Reign, O oh God, in the lives of your people. And they're struggling, O oh God, individually. And Father, you look from heaven and there is no dew falling upon the families in this house. God, I lift this group of people to you. These great people of yours today, O oh God, I lift them up to you today. And I ask your Father, Lord, to teach them how to live. Teach them, O oh God, how to live and walk in your ways. Let rain come on their lives and let it come abundantly. Give them good soil to sow their seed into. 
Dear Heaven Father above, Lord, I'm praying for the progress of your people. I'm praying for the process of your people. I'm praying for the deliverance of your people. Father, teach them how to live good. Teach them your ways. And Father, I pray, oh God, that, that as the people begin to analyze why their lives are not becoming fruitful, they will stop and they will think about the house of God. And as they think about the house of God, they'll instantly begin to align with the, with the God of the house. And the house of God within them will align with the God of the house. Oh, Father. Oh, mighty God, mighty God. (laughs) Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. That's what the New Testament says. Oh, Father, I present this great people of yours, oh God. And then Solomon prays in verse 38 of 1 Kings. And when a prayer or a plea is made by any of your people, by any of the dream center, each one aware of the afflictions of their own heart, Watch this. And spreading out his hands towards this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive, act and deal with each man accordingly. Yes. Forgive, act and deal with each man according to all he does. Since you know his heart. For you alone know the hearts of all men. And this is what he said. So that they will fear you all the time. And they will live in the land you gave to your father. So I'm going to pray now that God will live so strong in you that he will deal with you, with your actions. He will forgive you mercifully, justly, and he will put the fear of the Lord inside of you. So you walk circumspectly before him. So Father, right now, I present this great people. Father, you're hearing this word. You've commissioned me to do this, Lord. I pray for the fear of God. The fear of God Almighty to be in our hearts. Oh, Father. Lord, I know this culture would want to remove the fear of God from these young people. But Lord, I pray for the fear of God to be upon them. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you will show yourself to be a God who acts. Who deals with us all individually. Father, let us see the hand of God upon the lives of your people. I dedicate them, oh God, to you to do that work. Father, release that grace on us today. Let there be signs and evidence of you working and dealing and acting with each individual. Father, I pray for the young ones who have left. The young ones who were wavering in their faith. Lord, act, deal and work with them, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Your prayer should be, Lord, deal with me righteously. Deal with me according to your unfailing love.
Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Ghost. And it grew in numbers, living in the fear of God. That's the New Testament church. They grew in the fear of God. I pray right now that you will grow. Grow in fear of God. Grow in it, excel in it. That the fear of the Lord will become your code. That you will not walk to the left or to the right, but you will walk according to the fear of God, speaking inside of your life. Receive the portion. Come on, receive it. The fear of God. A righteous fear of God Almighty. (laughs) So Solomon prays for the fear of God to be over them. Then Solomon begins to pray that the eyes of the Lord will be opened day and night. And a place where his name and his presence can dwell. Now you, we want this house to have to be that place. So in, in verse 28 of, that, of Kings, 1 Kings 8. O Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence today. May your eyes be open towards this, this temple day and night. A place of which you said my name shall be there. So that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Church, you've got to start praying for your church. You've got to start praying for your church. God hears you when you pray for your church. God hears you when, sorry, God moves towards you when you're praying for your church. And he says, hear the supplication of servant. Israel, when they pray towards this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place and when you forgive. So right now, raise those holy hands and say, Father, I pray, O God, that my heart will be for this house. And that when I pray towards this house, I pray the things on your heart. And when I pray the things on your heart, O God, your heart turns towards me, O God, and strengthens me. Let me pray for your house and its convictions and its advancement more and more than I've ever done before. Father, put your house in my heart. Put, your, put this house in my heart, oh God. And then go down to 46. Solomon begins to pray that this will be a house that turns backsliders. Backsliders back to him. This is why we're dedicating this house. This will be a house. Listen, we've all got families who we wish were here. Some of us have got families who are one step away from walking out. We've got to hold what we've got and we've got to increase what we've never had. Amen? Increase what we've never had, but hold what we've got. And we want backsliders to return. Backsliders. I want my kids. I want my grandkids. And any kids they produce. And she goes on. I believe in that this will be a house of restoration. Do you know why? Because when I walked in this house that first day, I was a backslider. God mercifully brought me out. I repented. I came back to God. And look what God did. But I was a backslider when I walked through that door. And God took a backslider like me and Phil. And he began to do something with our lives. And I know God can do something. And Ange and Carol. 
Look what God's done with our lives. God is for the backslider. So here, Solomon's saying this is going to be a house that's open for the backslider. Let me read it. When they sin against you, for there is no one who doesn't sin. And, and you become angry with them and you give them over to the enemy who take them captive. This is what happens when you backslide, you get taken captive. The enemy takes you because he's got legal ground when you backslide. And this is what happens. And then you're taken into a land where they're held captive. I lived in that land for many years. Yeah? And then he says this. And they're, when they're held captive and repent, and that's what I did. And repent and plead with you in that land. Of their conquerors and say, we have sinned. Now there's an acknowledgement. There needs to be a moment of awakening. When, when the rebellious and the backsliders come to the end of their ways and come to their senses. And Solomon sees this and he says, And if they turn back with you and their heart and soul in the land of their enemies, who took them captive and pray to you towards this land, you gave your fathers towards this city you have chosen in the temple I built for your name. Then from heaven... Your dwelling place. Hear the pray, prayer of their plea and uphold the cause. So come on, let's hold what we've got and advance towards what we've not had. Father, I present the backsliders to you. And Lord, their names are many. Their names are many. Even, even last week, my son was doing a job. Not Scott, the other son, Ben. And he was called to this house. And he was called to this house not far from this church. And as he was in that room, he said, don't I know you? And this person said, I don't know, do you know me? And it happened to be one of the families that used to come to this church. Now my son's a backslider, but so's this person. Now they weren't, back, they weren't angry with me, they were angry with the previous regime. But you know, that's not the point, it's still the same house. And I just said straight away, how God interacts these people brings my son across the path. And then he begins to tell this person, my dad's the pastor. Wow, when did that happen? How did that happen? We're all asking that question. But the point is, maybe there's, maybe there's, maybe there's a change in her weather perspective. That that person just may make a new journey towards this house. But if this house is open to receive backsliders and pursues the backslider, then God will hear the prayer from this place. So come on, raise the hands. Father, reach out to the backsliders. We dedicate this house to the backslider. A place to return. A place to be restored. A place to be forgiven. A place to be restored. A place to be forgiven. A place to be received. Father, right now, we dedicate this house, oh God. Use it for your glory. Use it for your glory, oh God. Oh my God, my God, my God.